one of the great things about being an actor is that you learn to deal with rejection and you learn to deal with no's all the time. And you don't take that personally. You can't. When you're a young man, it's harder. As you get older, it's like water off a duck's back. You know, it doesn't even, you know, it, it's, it's just, it's just part of, part of life. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. Because it'll teach you what my dad always taught me, that failure is just opportunity in disguise. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. I am going to attempt to keep this intro quick because it's a long episode we've got for you today. I'm not going to rifle through all of this guy's credits because I really, embarrassingly so, I gush over him throughout the interview. This is actor Jake Weber. He has worked with everyone from Sir Anthony Hopkins to Harvey Keitel to Robert Duvall, Brad Pitt. He's got so many stories and acting takeaways from his journey. I've been a fan of his work from afar for two decades, and we finally got the chance to sit down and talk. And we riff about nose, acting, advice from those greats that I mentioned. Also, Paul Newman. He's got a great story of being in the room with him. Challenges of the industry, suicide, life, parenting. We cover a lot of ground. It is a very raw conversation. Uh, full disclosure, if you are not an actor— uh, we do kind of, it's a little languid. We go down a rabbit hole of talking about acting approaches, acting experiences. If you're a fan from afar, maybe you'll uh, enjoy that. Maybe it's too much for you. You can go find another interview with uh, an entrepreneur. If you are an actor, though, or a filmmaker, particularly actors and writers, there's so much gold in this one. I think he gives a masterclass on acting, and um, that's why I really didn't cut much. There's a couple of little things snipped out of it, but ultimately, when I listened back, I decided it was best to give you the spirit of the conversation. Uh, quite a few F-bombs, so put the earmuffs on the kids. As I said, rambles a little bit, but um, man, tons of takeaways. So enter at your own risk. This is Jake Weber. I don't even know where to begin. I wrote some notes here. That's why I'm looking over here, but I, you know, I'm sure I won't really follow them. Um, ultimately, I'll just start by saying uh, I'm I'm extremely flattered the way this whole thing came about, and um, I, I've been watching your work for like for a long time and you know intermittently there's a lot of stuff you've done in the last little while like it was cool to see some of the stuff you sent me you're you're just you are really 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 good and i i i mean that from the bottom of my gut um yeah you just you got so much range and you just seem so lived in to me like there's no there's no acting and yet you're playing all these different roles that are like each one is so distinct from the last one. So there will be a question at the end of like two hours. I'll ask you one question. Um, 
I don't, sure. know, I, don't, I don't even know where to begin to, man. It's like, we, I, we could kind of go back. I'm fascinated by the little bit that I know about your, your upbringing. Um, I'd love to get into acting with you because I just want to pick your brain selfishly. Um, I don't know. What are you feeling like? I feel like whatever we do, we're going to just catch lightning in a bottle and I'll <laughs> figure out the editing later. <laughs> well, I thought we were going to talk about rejection and how, am I, how are we supposed to do that with all this affirmation? That's Oh, we could talk about rejection. Trust me. Isn't that the theme? We, that's the whole, yeah, I think the whole um, kind of the contradiction of this show is everybody I have on is so impressive to me. And yet every single one of them, myself, yourself, anybody, you know, anybody I go grab on the street, you know, you talk to them. If you ask the right questions within about two minutes, you start to get into <laughs> rejection and obstacles, whether they're external or internal, but they're there. And um, yeah, I don't even know if it's necessarily rejection. We can go right to rejection. It's also just kind of proverbial nose that you might've had. And I know, you know, just from hearing uh, that little, you know, the episode with Anson Mount, which I had never heard his podcast before. And whether this piece of our conversation ends up in the final edit or not, I'll put it in the show notes because I really appreciated his spirit. I don't really know him as an actor, um, but I really liked him because he, it was, you guys had this conversation that felt so dropped into me. And, and I think because you've known each other for so long, you really, talked about a lot of stuff, which I don't know if I would have called that rejection, but I would definitely call it adversity, whether you, you know, I don't know how you think of it, but we, we could go back to, you know, go back to the young years. We can go wherever, where, where are you, what are you in the mood for? What, what, what are you, where, what are you thinking about these days? Well, I love, I love your, your, your subject. And I'm assuming that's from the Gladwell book. The 10,000, the, the is it from the 10,000? Yeah. Uh, it's inspired hours. by or, that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that, um, I mean, I, I was trying to think what I would say that hasn't been said, and there really isn't much to be said that hasn't been said. I kind of, I'm on your sort of vibe with this. It's that uh, in every no, there's, there's a yes, you know, and, it, and maybe the no is you don't go to Australia to do this big movie, but you get to coach your kid playing soccer. That's a yes inside a no. And I just think that, you know, if you, if you're going to, just make it generally. You got to be able to 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 deal with with nose and those. One of the great things about being an actor is that you learn to deal with rejection and you learn to deal with nose all the time. And you don't take that personally. You can't. When you're a young man, it's harder. As you get older, it's like water off a duck's back. You know, it doesn't even. You know. It, it's it's just it's just part of part of life you know i got a buddy who's you know life is saying no to him right now and he's dying and he's a young man and he's found a yes in there and the yes is that he's just every day he just says i'm so fucking fortunate to have had this life i am so he's found this moment of grace and intimacy with his friends and he and i were were good friends but now we become great friends and that's a yes inside a huge no yeah. That's yeah. like, uh, you get to go out, 
with grace and and love in your heart, you know. And yeah, he should have had 20 more years, but he didn't. But he's found a something lovely in this in this moment. So, you know, I mean, look, we you just keep on trucking, man. Like your man Tom Skerritt said, you just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other and don't feel sorry for yourself. Don't, don't take this thing so fucking seriously. You know, it, most of it's out of your control anyway. You know, Dave didn't ask to get brain cancer and, you know, and, but if you're going to be, if you're going to be in this, in this world, in this business, in this world generally, you know? Yeah. You got to, yeah. Take it, I, on the chin, man. take it on the chin and get up and, you know, get back in the ring. I say it to my son, um, who's only 13, but he's kind of this old soul and, uh, you know, he'll, he'll get bummed out about stuff sometimes. And I'll, I'll say, look, that's the, the thing that makes life so great or so precious is that, you know, death exists. I mean, it's, 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 it's our mortality that makes every day. It's not like every day is, you know, bands are playing or, or every day is like, you know, my day today. I mean, I, you know, I'm sitting here doing work and kind of, um, it's, it's not like if this was a, you know, if this was a, my day was a scene in a movie, you wouldn't be like, Oh, that was an incredible day. But there were beautiful parts of my day, beautiful conversations and pieces and, and little moments that I had alone. And I think that other side is, is if you look at it the right way is what makes it all worthwhile. And, and it's also, then again, easy to say when I'm sitting here healthy, as far as I know. And, um, you know, but, but I don't know, that's, that's, that's what I believe as well. I think you, you know, uh, you're touching on something like, you know, your buddy, I'm sorry, uh, what he's going through. I also am really inspired by that. And I hope I was going to say if I'm ever in that situation, but when I'm in that situation, you know, you don't always see it coming, but when you're in that situation that I'll have as much grace as your, as your buddy, you know, courage, courage, man. He's got big old clankers. He's going out like, like a warrior. Um, he's a tough, tough Scots, tough Scotsman, but, um, yeah, man, that's what we hope. We, how do we know? How do you know how you're going to react in wartime? How do you know when you're going to react, you know, in adversity, you know, real adversity. I'm not talking about, you know, bullshit actors or adversity. I'm talking about like real life shit. And, um, you know, how are you going to, how are you going to deal with that? And, uh, you know, Dave is doing a lovely job with it. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's dealing with a big no. Let me, let me ask you, I, and, and you can also not talk about this if you don't want, because, uh, when I heard you talk about this, it was with a friend of yours that, you know, you were, you knew for a long time, but your mom, when you were eight, took her own life. Now that's, you know, I, I have an uncle uh, that did the same when I was about seven. Um, 
I, I, I can't imagine it. Um, if you don't want to go there, we don't, if you do, uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to like how you, you probably didn't even process it necessarily in the moment, but how that's weighed into everything moving forward. I'm sure it has to have, have an impact in some way. Look, I mean, that's like, like with your uncle, you know, I mean, that's, um, it's a seminal moment. Um, now I don't know what positive you can get out of that. No, no, you don't get to have a mom. Um, but, um, there is a positive. I'll give you a positive out of that. So she wasn't very stable. So it would have been a hard life. Uh, for her anyway. And it would have been a hard life for me growing up with a mom who is crazy. So maybe she's at peace and that's a, that's a yes inside that. No, maybe it was the best thing that could have happened. Sucked as a kid. Um, missed her terribly still do, but, uh, you know, 27, a lot of people go 27. It's a, uh, it's kind of a marker, you know, I didn't realize she was 27. Yeah, 27. So you got Janice Joplin, you got Jimi Hendrix, you got, uh, I don't know how old James Dean was. I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a big one. Jim Morrison. Yeah. Jim Morrison. Okay. Yeah. So once I hit 27, I was like, (laughs) (laughs) it's all gravy from now on, (laughs) Weber. Well, you know, what's funny. You're talking about like, you know, Janis Joplin and Jimi Hendrix and, and the thing that, yeah, I didn't really know your, I didn't really know your background at all. I knew you, I think I've told you this. I used to watch Mind of a Married Man was the first time that you came. I was really kind of really early into acting. It was, uh, it was a a while ago. I was in New York and loved you on that show and just thought you were like a, a great prick you know you were but but you were you had such a point of view you owned who you were and i suggest to anybody who's listening to go back and watch that series i haven't seen it in a long time but i remember really loving it and i think it got cut shorter than i wanted it to but i didn't know you your background you guys were literally hanging with you know, you got a picture in your place with Mick Jagger when you're you know eight years old you got you were at Keith Richards place that whole summer. Like it's a crazy childhood that I I just, I didn't know it. And when I heard it, I was like, huh, it kind of, it kind of makes sense. Now the work that I've seen you do that you're, you're able to stretch yourself and mold yourself in all these different ways. And, and I mean, our backgrounds couldn't have been more different there's a certain element of your childhood that's like that I'm I'm envious of the adventure and then there's a certain part where I feel like it must have been like growing up with like no gravity like like weightlessness in some ways like it it sounded you know really uh non-traditional if you want to talk about that a little bit and your dad your dad sounds like a amazing character <laughs> um well, I'll tell you what, I mean, look, I envied your childhood, man. I envied playing sports and I envied going to school and being around kids all the time and said I was around all these adults. So I just started watching, you know, and uh, 
And I think being a sort of um, somewhat of an introverted guy, kid, you know, um, that's that was cool. That's a that's a that's a yes out of, out of no. You don't get to you know be a regular kid and play sports and. You know, I, was, I didn't go to school till I was really, you know, I mean, my first math class I was ever in, I was fucking 16 years old. You know, I mean, I was so far behind on, you know, on everything. But I did like to read. And so that was all I was to do because there weren't a lot of kids around or just watch all the adults get shit faced. You know, that's how I started getting inter- interested in in. Probably in acting because I just watched everyone. I just watched all these grown-ups. Yeah, that was kind of ideal. It's kind of amazing to hear that as a parent, and I know you know some people that a lot of people I'm sure that listen to this are parents themselves, and particularly right now, this day and age, there's 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 a lot of. maybe a little craziness sometimes about like getting, you know, jockeying your kid, positioning them for something right, right. in the future. And you hear that and I look at you and, and how extremely successful you have been and uh, how talented you are. And you could just go like, you weren't in a math class until you were like 14 or 16. That's nuts to me, but it's kind of, it's, it's, it just shows that, yeah, so one thing was lacking, but then there was something else that there was a surplus, you know? So you were ahead of the game. And I know at, at one point, uh, you know, you you went to Juilliard and that was, I think, on a, on a full ride. And it was kind of, I don't really know the story. I'd actually love to hear what led up to it. Um, but that's amazing in and of itself. And yet, like, if you if you put your stats on paper, like, okay, we're charting this child to see where he's going to go in life. And it's like, he hasn't been in a math class. He's 16. We better, we better get him in a math class. It's like, well, you ended up doing just fine. And, and there's something about that. That's, um, there's something about that that makes me want to just like, you know, kind of, cheer for it because it's like everybody's got their own unique journey. And, and too often these days, I feel like everybody thinks they have to be on this, this one particular path. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not really true. What, what was that that led up? Like, like give me like the lead up to Juilliard. Cause you were, were you at Middlebury college? Was that where, we, where you were? Yeah, I went to Middlebury College and I just didn't know what I was going to do, Matt, and just, you know, and I, um, I thought I would, I love books. I love, you know, uh, literary fiction. So I thought, you know, I would teach or something. I looked at the LICTs and realized when I saw that book, that was not going to go well for me. Um, and then I just, I applied to some drama schools on a slide. I didn't even like tell anyone. You know, I got a little help from the, the drama guy uh, at at Middlebury, but I was not a theater, big theater guy. I would do a play, you know, I'd do a play. Uh, I'd do a couple plays, you know, a year because it was, it was fun and I wasn't, you know, 
as good a sports as I would like. I wasn't as great a soccer player as I wanted to be. So that was sort of my thing through kind of default. And then I applied to some drama schools and I had no faith that I, that this would be a career or, or life of any, I didn't, didn't even consider it. It was almost a lark that I applied to these schools. And then that, then that the road was, was laid out for me and, and, um, and I took it, you know, what was the application process for Juilliard? Isn't it like an audition? Don't you have to go audition? Yeah, you do. Yeah. You audition and, and you do a couple monologues and then there's a callback process and then there's another callback process. And I think you go there about three times. Um, and the same with, um, uh, some of the other, you know, I, I applied to Yale, did not get into Yale. Um, and I, and then there was something called the league, which was, a it was a, 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 um, sort of a gathering, a conference of, of drama schools and they would all come and there'd be hundreds of people coming out there doing little monologues. And yeah. so that was my warm up was doing the leagues. But other than that, I just had one other audition, two others. And that was Juilliard and Yale and Neil said no. And Juilliard said yes. And I said, all right, I guess I'm going to Juilliard. Wow. And someone's got to be listening and going, wait, how did he, how was it that he didn't have a math class till he's 16 and then he got into Middlebury? So what was that story? You know, like what? I just worked my tits off, man. I just worked my tits off. You know, I just worked hard. You know, I had a lot of catching up to do. Um, I, you know, I was into books, you know, so I just had to work hard, man. And, you know, I knew I had to catch up and, and I, and I, just did. I pulled the all-nighters. You know, I, I was held back a year, so I was already old. Um, I came in as a as a sophomore uh, to a school called Kate School, which is a prep school, uh, all-boys prep school at the time. From And I came there from this very uh, – one of the, the, the most famous of all uh, free schools, which means uh, lessons were not compulsory – that were completely voluntary and it was a self-governing body. Um, so every kid had the equal amount of, has, has uh, the power of one vote and so there's the headmistress. So it was a sort of um, self-governing little ecosystem. Where was that? Uh, this was in England. Um, so the, so when I said I didn't go to, I, I did go to school, but I went to this free school, but I didn't take any math because I didn't like math. So instead I, you know, took human biology and, and there was just one teacher and, you know, uh, and maybe there were five, five kids in the class or something. It was not a rigorous academic program or, or athletic program. It was a hippie free school. You just, you know, kind of did your own thing, kind of, you know, Lord of the Flies kind of a deal, but more benevolent. And did you at some point, oh, go on, sorry. Oh, so then what happened, I mean, in brief, you know, briefly, my dad was, my dad was, uh, uh, you know, uh, he's strung out on drugs and forever. And so my godfather said, come to America and uh, I'll put you through school. And, you know, so I, so I got out of Summerhill, moved to America and um, this guy went down to this 
preppy school and and we had an interview and they were like i don't know who this little feral creature is you know but uh he's clearly way behind in academics but he might be a you know a wild card in our pack of you know preppy preppy rich kids i think they had two like people of color in, in the whole class back then um but they said come on in and and uh and then I, I just had to work hard. I, I'm guessing you uh, do have a natural intelligence, whether it was schooled or not. And, and like you said, you're a, a heavy reader back then. Um, I'm also sure that the, the, the progressive school probably had you thinking more outside the box than a lot of the kids that you were in, in school with. Um, I'm wondering, like, did you before... Middlebury in order to end up getting into Middlebury, did you have any moment where you were like, okay, this is, I'm actually going to, I'm going to apply myself to school. Like, was there any moment like that where you had a, a, a switch in your head? I was living on the streets basically in London. So when my godfather uh, came to me and said, you want to, you know, you want to uh, come over here? And uh, and uh, there was no question that I was going to make the most of that opportunity. So I, I wasn't going to be in school, you know, in a real school uh, and not make the most of it. And, you know, that's, I think if anything, those guys, the administ- administrative uh, staff at, uh, not administrative, the admission staff at Kate School, you know, saw that I had some grit and they took a chance on me. But, you know, uh, no, and everything, man, it's just always been hard work, man. You just got to work harder. You got to be, you know, I ain't the most talented guy. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not, you know, not the funniest guy, you know, but I, I, I will work hard. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a journeyman actor and I, and I always work hard and I always have in my life and I just take advantage of any opportunity I have because I don't know how many there are. They're going to be. Yeah. And I mean, there's one thing you've been talking about being a dad, you know, and you, you don't want to pilot parent your kids or what do they call it? Helicopter pilot, helicopter parenting, yeah. um, you know, and we worry, you know, are they on the right track? Are they going to, you know, I just think that, that you've got to um, find out what they do. And then the, the, what you really hope they have in them is some grit and determination and stick with it. Because that's that's what's going to serve you. Uh, uh, in the long term. And it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're a fucking carpenter or a plumber or whatever it is, you know, you stick around until you get the job done and, you know, you make sure that you have done your best. And if you do, you get to continue working. And if you don't and you fuck up the plumbing and it backs up a week after you're gone, you don't get that call again. So, yeah, I'm basically a plumber. I clean shit out of TV. TV. (laughs) The shit that is television. Dialogue. That's what I do. I'm a plumber. <laughs> I make that stuff. Get that out of the toilet and put it. It's so it. funny you said it because yeah, Ted Ted Danson. I I did something with with him. It was like in the dressing room, and I just met him, and he was so cool or whatever. But I go, I you know, I got a question about this this little moment right here. It feels a little whatever, but I was kind of like, I'm here on my first day. I'm doing like one episode. I'm coming in. You know, I don't want to talk to 
you know, Ted dancing about the thing. He's like, I go, you know, I'm kind of, I don't, I don't want to overstep my bounds. I'm just the scumbag guest star. And he goes, Oh no, trust me. Some of the best ideas come from the scumbag guest stars. He's like, he's like, I'm just busy laying pipe all day on this thing. He's like, all I, all I do is lay pipe all day long on this. pipe. Um, but the, you guys could be father and son, couldn't you? Uh, you know what? Maybe I might be a little too, uh, a little too ethnic to be his son, but uh, yeah, he's, he's great, man. He's, he's a great guy. Um, what was the experience like at, at Juilliard? What did you, you know, did you come out of Juilliard? First of all, what I'm, I'm a little jealous of anybody that did a three-year program where they were in a vacuum of acting. Cause I did not do that. Um, did you like it? Did you have to, unlearn some of the stuff because I think sometimes there's a technical aspect of it that maybe people could, could, could have to almost let go afterward. What was that like? I didn't have to want to learn anything cause I didn't know anything. So when I went there, I was so fucking green and the first year I was just in a shell. I was just like a fucking turtle because everybody was so good and had so much experience. I mean, we had Laura Linney, we had Jeannie Triplehorn, we had Tim Blake Nelson, David Aaron Baker. We had some really heavy, heavy hitters um, who want gone on to have really great careers. And I was just like, I don't know why this has been a terrible mistake. <laughs> a terrible mistake. And I hope no one notices me. Um, but then I got some confidence and I learned and I, and I dug it, man, that the, the the, the, my class was great. The dudes, it was like a being on a, on a, it was being on a, like being on a really great athletic team. I mean, the guys were all really, you know, we were all baseball nuts and, and music and literature. It was like a really, it was like, it was like the best fraternity you could ever be in. And uh, very sort of the, the male uh, part of the group was very, I don't know, I don't want to say that we were, it's not macho, but it was just very, it was very sort of male. What you would think of young 20 year old red blooded males, you know, and very sports oriented. Um, and um, I loved the people and I loved the technique that they were teaching us. And I just, you know, I sucked it up like a sponge. There are certain things that I didn't like, and I just knew in the back of my head, yeah, I'm not going to use that. I don't like that. I don't like. Like, like what? Well, there's, there was one, there was a, an administrator there, a lovely dude, and and a, and, a, and he was also a teacher, but mainly an administrator. And I and he remember saying, you know, these these great classical roles, it's it's not your job to, to um, bring those down to your level. You have to rise to their level. And there was something in, in me in that that just right away said, yes and no, you know, because it comes through, it's filtered through you, whatever you have and whatever you're, who you are through. You, know, I, you don't want to call it a soul, but, you know, your essence, you know, and, and if you, that's when you start getting into artificiality, when you start trying to sort of rise to some, you know, like Shakespeare's been made monumental to his disadvantage. I think, you know, it's, 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 it, you know, people are so precious with the stuff and it's really just fucking dirty. And, and, and uh, a lot of it is, is beautiful, but a lot of it is really, um, uh, um, 
prosaic almost, you know, it's just like there's people making dirty jokes and, you know, it's funny and, and it's ribald and, yeah. um, you know, so, you know, I remember when, when, when Harold said that, I was, I just thought, yeah, not so sure about that. I think, you know, there's, there's a place where you, where you, where you meet something that is great, great writing and the place where you meet them is in you, you know, in your thing, who you are. I agree. And that's, I think that's what I respond to in your work is that regardless of the the character you're playing, I've seen you in many different roles. Like they're all really distinct from the other and yet they all feel like you're not acting. Um, and, and I don't think that's always the case with everybody. And I think the way you just said that, uh, which by the way, I agree with, I just said almost, <laughs> almost an identical thing about three weeks ago, uh, when someone was asking me some questions uh, about that, that like, you have to find your jumping off point with it. You have to find, because you can't filter it through anybody, but you. You know, so, so you, you, it has to be somehow you, now you can mute some parts of yourself and accentuate other parts of yourself, but it's, it's, it's still you, you know, um, the, the that's all we got, man. You can't be, you never, I mean, you're a funny dude, but you don't want to be Jackie Gleason because there's only one Jackie Gleason, but you know, you're fucking hysterical on your show. And okay. I can't imagine anyone doing a, a better job of that because you do you, you know, and, and you, you're a relaxed dude and you're, and you play it very, very fucking serious and it's very funny. Um, but that is, I don't know, you know, I see you, we don't know each other, but I see, I never caught you acting, you know, I know that's really, you. that's a, I mean, you don't realize how much you've made my, my day or my month by even by sitting down with me or even the way this came about you. I, and I want to just, I want to, I want to point that out actually for anybody who's listening, like you, you, what you did as an actor that I look up to what you did after you saw huge in France. And I don't know what your motives were. Uh, I got an email from you out of the blue. I don't even know how you, it was one of the most generous things that I've, experienced and it was it literally made my month when you 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 know it's like i get just an email in my inbox and you said hey man i loved you on on huge in france and and i was like wait is this jake weber like jay like i've been watching this guy like i think this guy's incredible like it, it was such a generous uh gesture like you didn't have to do that and I talk all the time on this show about like, you know, just encouraging someone and, and it goes a long, long way for, for me, you know, for any actor, as you know, like as good as you are, I'm sure you have days when you might think that you're not good. I can't imagine you would think that, but I definitely have days for well, myself where I'm like, what am I doing, man? Like, what, what am I doing? Like, go yeah. get another, go get another career, you but know? Sure. And, 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 and so when you get something like that, that was, there was no reason for you to do that. It was so overtly generous. I, I, 
I just, I, I appreciate it. And I guess I'm saying it so that other people who are listening and you don't have to be actors. You could be like, you know, tippy top in your field, whatever that may be. But like, if you see something that kind of moves you and you just, you're, you're, you're thinking of maybe reaching out to tell that person, but you're like, ah, it'd be kind of weird. Just reach out to that person because it, it really, um, it, it, you know, you, you'll, you'll never really know what the effect was of that. Cause I, I look at you and I go like, Oh, that guy's really good. And, and when I, when I was made aware of you, I was so also so early in my career that it was like you were on another plane of like, you, I, I mean, I don't, I don't even think I had worked at the time when I saw Mind of Married Man. I don't think I, you know, besides like the, you know, being naked. Right, I got it. I got it. I got it. I'm old and you're young. And I, you're I'm like, not saying that. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you came out of the gate. You came out of the gate. I think working like a bandit. I'm, and I want to hear that. Like what happened after Juilliard? Because I remember it was, it wasn't just mind and marriage. It was like meet Joe black. It was like, you know, it, it, it was all of these things that like, boom, boom, boom. You were all over the place. Um, and I did not have that experience. I, I had the experience of like, the, I, I always, you know, people can't see this, but I'm doing like, I'm like, I'm, I'm climbing up this, like uh, this wall and I'm just like hanging on by my nails. It, it was like, nobody, I thought I had something, but no, nobody else thought I had anything. You know, it was like very rare when someone thought I had something. I, I couldn't make money at, at all for years. Um, so I looked at you like you were on another planet. So to, so to get that email was like, holy crap, this is amazing. Um, well, you so made us laugh, man. You made us, of course. Look, a kind, a kind word goes a long way. Um, but you just made us laugh so much, me and my wife, that, you know, I mean, it was just so funny. He's a great it's character, just, man. It's just one of the, <laughs> it's just one of the fucking funniest things. Well, it's also <laughs> as an actor, I think any actor that Jason Allen Ross, like that, that there's just, there's just something in that character that, I really felt exposed playing that guy. I yeah. felt, I felt like, you know, I was like, God, this feels like me in a lot of, I know he's like a real, you know, extreme version, but I, I sadly, I feel like I identify with him a little more than I wish I did. <laughs> I think it's, a, it's true. It's a truly great performance and it, and, Thanks, it, and, and it should, it should, it should have the approbation that it deserves because it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's up there with, you know, uh, I, for me, it's up there with Kevin Klein and Fish Called Wanda, that kind of, oh my that God. kind of, that, that commitment and sincerity and seriousness of, of intent while playing somebody who might not be the sharpest tack in the box, you know, is, is a, a, an achievement because you never once condescended to the guy. It's like, I'm going to, well, I'm going to catch this motherfucker. I'm t I told my wife, I'm going to catch him commenting on this guy. And you never did once. And that's what made it, you know, you never, that, that's what just made it sing for me. Um, so thank you, man. But that, you. That's the game, right? Especially in comedy. It's like, you just gotta, you just, gotta, I don't do, I, you know, it's funny. I don't do, I don't do a ton of it. Uh, I I'd love to do it. I love that when the, when the right, it has to be the right material that I, that I can hook into. I can be funny with, with material that I can hook into. I, I'm not very good being funny with stuff that I don't find 
Um, you know, like I'm not like a jokey kind of guy, but that was so, it, it, it just, there was just something about it. It just, it just hit me and, and where I was in my life at that time, it just, it just hit me in a way that it was, um, it was a good experience. Um, you, you know, I, I want to talk to you about something that I just saw. Um, and I did, I did not see the whole season, but I saw your, some of your work on Homeland, uh, from, I think it, was it, what season was that? The, the second season that you did? Um, I think uh, it was the penultimate season and then, then the one before that. So is that seven or eight, seven okay. or eight, six or seven? I'm not sure. Well, the, the reason I bring it up on the, on the heels of this conversation and, and, you know, forgive us cause we're going all over the place here, but this is where, where I, my mind just went to when you were saying that about me, thank you. That's what I felt just watching you in, in that you're playing this guy. I don't even know what uh, exactly what the scenario was, but you, you had such a, a commitment and that's what you've had in everything that I've seen you in is this, it's kind of a, a commitment to whoever you are. And, and they all, they all, you, you have a gift for dialect and, and, and accents and, you you have an you also have a gift with your body that you're able to kind of morph yourself so that you seem like I've seen you, you know, clean cut in a suit and very kind of bound tight, and then I've seen you really sloppy and and kind of rumpled. And within each one, they still they feel so committed to what they are. What where do you like? Let, let's go to the homeland one. How, where do you, how do you approach, uh, you know, how do you approach a character? Like, like what, is there a typical way that you kind of begin on it? Yeah. I think, well, first thing is I'm one of the things that I learned at, at, at Juilliard, which I found very helpful is this is such a uh, sort of acting school trick, but um, you, you, you find the animal that your character is. So that's one of the first things I look for. So that guy was a bear. Um, you know, and, you know, big old brown bear and maybe a grizzly. I mean, he was a bear. Um, and, you know, every every part I can go back and I can say, oh, this guy was a lizard. This guy was a snake. This guy was, you know, a deer, um, gentle or whatever it may be. Um, so that's something that I do. And then it's a lot of like imaginative work. It's really the stuff that they didn't teach me at school was stuff that I learned from, uh, you know, I don't know where I learned it from, but you know, any given circumstance that is 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 uh, stated in the script, you've got to build a biography and a backstory to that. So, um, you know, so that when you make reference to that moment, that that is a full, rich moment for you. And this is people. Some people guys think this is sort of Stanislavski or method or something, but you know, it's it's about it's imaginative work that um that gives each give gives a, a a moment of reference resonance so if i'm talking about um you know uh, uh, um my brother i'm gonna picture uh i'm gonna pick a face for that character and i'm gonna pick a backstory and so that so that 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 lives you know that moment where you're talking about your brother at Liz because you built a history on that. I think I learned that from 
I learned that from Keitel. Harvey Keitel was really was really into that. You know, he was he would I would spend quite a bit of time with him, and he was he said, "Look, if you if you're talking about your dead dog, you got to go out and bury your dog. Literally, literally, go out in the backyard with a shovel, dig a hole, put your dog in it. Not literally your dog, but put." imaginatively, you know, he said, you're going to feel like an idiot, um, but you got to do it. Um, and that's, that's how, you know, it lives. And then there's great people like Duval who look for the vulnerability. So the first thing I do is Duval said, first thing I do is look for the vulnerability in a character. And we think of him as such a strong stoic presence, but, you know, you know, all of his performances are, are, are quite layered with, machismo and vulnerability as well. You know, that he's, he's a very masculine presence, but he's also, Brando was the same way, a masculine and a feminine presence, yeah. you know? Um, so I just, so that's that's kind of what I do. You know, it's not it's not rocket science. What, with the, I'm, I'm fascinated by the animal and I, it's one of those things that's always been, I've, I've obviously heard of it like kind of like I want to do that, but I haven't really. And now hearing you say that and, and kind of like rifling through some of your stuff in my head, I'm going, Oh, this is something that I need to explore. Let, let's go to those moments. Will you physically write out a document of your, your backstory or only particular moments that you feel like, that you need to draw upon, like you're talking about your brother. So you do, will you physically write it out, like writing a script or writing a backstory, or writing about it, or is it more in your to. mind? You, you, yeah. I used to, I used to literally write it out like a biography. Um, now, you know, I, I, I can have a shorthand with it, you know, so that I don't have to, I've lived so long that I have experiences and, and also that it can be a character out of fiction that you've read, you know, you can make that person, the brother and then all of a sudden that backstory is built in for you because you have a relationship with this character that you've read and then you endow him with um yeah. you know, with 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 the the backstory that you need because it doesn't matter what it is nobody needs to know it's just that that there's something something behind the eyes you know there's a feeling there yeah um but yeah i used to write it out and, and if i was talking to young actors i would say yeah write them all out and and go do the harvey cattell get out there and bury your dead dog if you're going to talk about your dead dog, um, and look for the vulnerability. And you know, I mean, I think the greatest thing. You know, I'm trying to think as I, I'm looking back on on Juilliard and all that stuff, and being so green when I went there, um, and you know, absorbing all that very good information. A lot of it was very very helpful, especially with all the technique stuff. Um, but you know, I think it's really watching other actors like those great movie actors um and i never read like their biographies or anything but there's anecdotal um their stories you know anecdotes about them that i picked up from reading you know they may be completely tangential to what i'm actually reading about but somebody will say a quote you know from marlon brando or something you know i read a great there's a great Ilya, Ilya kazan book where he talks about acting um but it's it's really the the movie the movie actors that I think really have got the especially American movie actors I think those are you know yeah. 
those are those, those things for me. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of Duvall, I recently, for the role I'm working on right now, I watch Colors, mm. which, which doesn't, doesn't, doesn't hold honestly up, doesn't really hold yeah. up. Like I was, and that's Dennis Hopper directed it, which I didn't remember. Um, but there are moments between Sean Penn and Duvall. And I agree with you. I mean, you think about him as Tom Hayden, you think about him in that, you think of anything. There's a, there's a quiet, there's a quiet kind of shy guy in a lot of Duvall's characters. There's a, there's something, um, Kind of shy, as I would describe. His first movie, his first movie role was Boo Radley from To Kill a Mockingbird. That was his first movie role. The ultimate shy guy, recessive guy. Yeah, isn't that interesting? That was his first movie role. I was thinking it'd be cool to ask you, because of, you know, my, whatever I was projecting onto you when I was watching Mind of a Married Man, like, oh God, this is a real TV show on HBO and this is whatever. Like, what were you, I, I don't know how old you were when you were doing that. I don't, but, but I don't know if you liked that particular job. It seemed like you were enjoying the hell out of it. I mean, it seemed like you were having a ball, I felt. Um, it, it, that came across. But like, what? where were you, I think that might be interesting for, for me selfishly to hear, like, where were you in your life? Like, were you like, boom, this is, I'm, I'm in a, I'm in a real sweet spot here. And, or, or were you kind of like, oh shit, this is a job. This is a gig. This is what, what, how, what was that like that job? So, um, that minor married man came from Mike Binder who I'd worked with, uh, briefly on another TV show. And I thought I was totally wrong for the part. And he asked me to audition for the network. And I said, I can't do this because I didn't know him really. I just hung out with him a little bit on set, but he said, I think you're really right for this through agents and stuff. And I said, I, I can't play this Lothario guy. I'm not like this smooth, you know, Dylan McDermott, like swab dude. I mean, no, no, I'm wrong for this. I'm not, I don't look right. I don't like, it's not, not my, he says, no, I really, really think you should do this. So I went in there and I just thought, you know what? This guy's fucking nuts. I said, he's nuts. Not Mike, my character. He said, he's not smooth. He's not, he's just, he's, he's like a, again, if you were going to pick an animal, he'd be a, a golden retriever. You know, he's just like, he's jumping up. He's licking everything he can. He's fucking eating, <laughs> eating everything. And he's just, he's just all appetite and just like as good humor as can possibly be. And I just thought he was crazy. It's like, you really think you're going to get away with just like floating through life and fucking around on your family. And you just think everything is going to be okay because you're you know, nuts. You're fucking nuts. Um, so it was fun. And it was fun with Mike because a lot of it was kind of improvisational and Mike is just one of the loveliest fucking dudes you will ever, ever meet. And um, it was really fun. And it was canceled. Mike had written the third season. But the story that I heard is that the guy who was running HBO at the time, his wife hated this show. She fucking hated it. So he would have to (laughs) get into bed each night and hear it from her about this show which I think was way ahead of its time and yes. would be, would be something, something's pretty special right now. Um, maybe Mike should get it, get it juiced up again. I don't know. Um, but no, it was really fun, but you know, it's not on HBO. They won't put it on their platform. Yeah. Really? It's, it hasn't been. Yeah. And the reason is, cause I'll put Arliss on the reason is cause Mike, who's a big music dude, 
put all this really expensive music in it. So it cost them a fortune to license the music. So he had so where that. Is it? Can anybody get it? If, if people you can are get watching it on DVD, probably, but it's not on it, the HBO platform. They it's not available it. for streaming anywhere. No, maybe. <sighs> I don't know. But I, I have no idea. But no. And the second season was never even released on DVD because the music was at that point, you know, the show had gotten some approbation and, and, and HBO had so much money at that point. They were just, this was just before the Sopranos. Um, yeah, yeah, it was just before the Sopranos. So they were sort of building their, their library, their catalog. And they, you know, they let Mike buy his music, all this great music. And then, you know, they canceled it, but yeah, it was a lot of fun, buddy. Oh my God. Okay. There's, there's a couple of things to just dive into on that. The fact that you said you weren't right for it. I thought you were so good in that role that I was like, this guy is, I mean, I would never have guessed that. Um, and that's how I felt about Jason Allen Ross, by the way, when I first saw that audition, I said it was a 30 year old, like it was like a young Brad Pitt, blonde hair, blue eyed buff dude. That was like a, trainer. And I was like, I'll never get this. I'm, I'm 45 years old. I'm lean. I'm Italian looking. No way. I almost didn't want to go in for it. And yeah. then it was only that it was so, I thought it was so funny and I had a take on it that I, that I went in, but that's just such a great lesson for people. Like it is. Did yeah. he, it's like everybody's going to give you nose when, when somebody says come in for yeah, it, just exactly. go with it. Don't say that's no. Right. Don't talk yourself out of an opportunity for the kids out there. You know, don't just second guess yourself or judge yourself. If somebody thinks you can do it, you just you you owe them the respect to to go out and and give it give it a college try. And then if it sticks, it sticks. You know. But yeah, don't don't turn down opportunities. You know, make it your own. You don't have to. You know. You know. You make it your own. You know. You were very serious, and I could see some other other actors not being quite so serious about. You know, <laughs> so um, uh, what is the word? Yeah, there was an earnestness about that dude, but he was a very self-serious guy. And that was so fucking funny because he took himself so seriously. We both worked with uh, Taylor Sheridan. Yeah. And, and yeah. You just uh, you just did you just rap? No, you were doing it before COVID. Um, those who wish me dead. And you, and yeah, yeah. I just did. I just did ADR t today for it, which is my why my voice is a little shot because I had to be screaming. Um, a lot of it. How was your so, experience? What were you playing on that, and and how did it go? I had a great time. I mean, look, you know, I felt very fortunate to get that part. It was very competitive uh, to get that part, and Taylor really you know, went to bat for me and, you know, it was, I don't think it was easy for him to, to, you know, I mean, everybody wanted Paul Giamatti. Nobody wanted, you know, Jake Weber, TV's Jake Weber. But uh, in terms of the work itself, it was, um, it's great. I was working with a kid. And I like working with kids. I've done a lot of work with kids. And the great thing about kids is that, is that they're so loose and you can improvise with them and you can get all these like magical moments and you can fuck with them on camera and you'll get a real honest response. 
Um, and this was a very good kid, talented kid out of Australia. Um, so, you know, Taylor, I didn't know Taylor. We got, we, we do, we did have, we do have some mutual friends that it turned out, but you know, I didn't call on them to, to, it was just an audition and I put it on audition and, you know, on tape in my house and brought me in and, and then I got the part. It was, took same, a while to get it, but, same but deal. It, it's such a good movie, Matt. You know, it's it, like I read this script and I'm, I'm doing a lot of writing right now. I've used, you know, I've been writing for the last few years, three years or so. And man, this guy can write a screenplay. Oh, he's. So I mean, cool. this thing, this thing is so tight. So, so tight. It's so, I, I, this is the first, one of the first um, screenplays that I've read where the, the, I wanted to read every word of the prose because it was so evocative and you absolutely just saw exactly like Taylor didn't even have to fucking direct it. It was all there on the page. Yeah. Cause he'd already done all that work. Yeah. When I did, you saw, you, I experienced the movie reading it. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, he, yeah. Hell or high water. That, that's great. Great film that was his first and, and he's an actor first. What, what's the, what's the character you're playing? What's the gist of, of, uh, um, I play an accountant who's on the who's uh, uh, on the run from uh, from uh, some people who are trying to to get to him and his son. So that's that's basically, you know, but I don't want. There's no point yeah, no, 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 don't go too far into it. But I, I want to I want to go back to something, and I'm, I'm going to like psychoanalyze you here, and I I only do it because we're going to it's all to serve whoever's listening which is you just kind of said in passing something that I would say, you know, it's, you were like, yeah, they want a Paul Giamatti. They didn't want TV's Jake Weber. Like, like, do you, I look at you and I think like, you're a tremendous actor. Is there a part of you that has been, and people won't, you know, a very small piece of the audience is going to get this and they, they have to be actors themselves to get this because they're looking at you and they're going, well, what is this, this guy's on everything. But the actors will know what I'm talking about. Is there a part of you that's been beaten down so much by the business in a way that you think that way? Cause I look at you and I'm like, this guy can do anything. He can do anything. No, there isn't. Cause I got, I know I have a sense of proprioception where, where I, where I, I, I exist in this business and um, I know that I can't bring anything other than a performance to the table because I just don't have any, any, um, I don't bring a market with me and the reality. So this is why these no's that come in as an actor, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, fine. I get it. You know, I, I'm casting a movie right now and I'm going through the exact same process and there are these amazing actors, but, and I'm like, this guy's the best guy for the part. And they're like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we got to sell a movie. It the doesn't, producers are saying that. Yeah, you know, and as a young actor, you think, oh, I finally had the opportunity. I could compete, you know, for these roles. Well, it's just not the case. You have to get, first of all, you have to get lucky and put yourself in a position and be, take advantage of whatever opportunity has come to you, make the most of that. And then that has to do well. And then, you know, you have to, you have to, um, uh, Establish yourself as a as a as a as a as a as a, a contributor of of value to that, and then you got to market yourself, and it's a whole freaking thing, you know. So 
Um, yeah, it's TV's Jake Weber only because um, I don't bring a market to it. And, and I, I guess I have no, I, I mean, I'm a journeyman actor, man. This is what I do. I, you know, I'm not, I, that's all I, all I got is I, I'll bring you hard work. I'll do the best I can. I'll do the imaginative work that needs to be done beforehand. I'll be relaxed. I'll be cool, nice to people. And I'll just do the best I can. But, um, I don't, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I'm not Edward Norton, you know, and I'm not Paul Giamatti because those guys, I'm very lucky to be where I am, but, um, but I, I, I'm not, I'm nothing special, man. I'm no, nothing I, special, I, I, man. Would, I would disagree with no, that. No, 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 but, no. but I know what you're saying. Maybe within the market, the way the market perceives you, but I would, y- y- you know, even, even, even I, I just, I honestly, I, I mean, you're very kind and, and I don't say this with any false modesty and something or anything, but I, I really, I, I honestly, you know, think I'm a solid actor, but I don't, I don't, I don't see Ed Norton in there. I mean, when I watch Edward Norton, I'm like, holy fucking shit, that guy's good. You know, and I watch Ryan Gosling and, you know, and I watch Chris Pine and those are like, obviously the leading men type guys, but there's, there's so many, or the guy from the original guy from Homeland, what's his name? Who's not uh, a leading man. The, the, the redhead. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Damien, Damien. Yeah. Damien, Lewis? Damien Harris. Is that his name? Damien Lewis. Damien Lewis. Yeah. You know, I, that those, these guys are, you know, they're, they're, they're gifted. You know, I think you're gifted. See, this is okay. This is a, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to agree with you on that because, yeah, I right, think right, because I think if you're put in, look at, look at it. You know what? No, no. I, I, I think I'm going to disagree with you here. Josh Brolin, I remember hearing him after um, No Country for Old Men. You know, he kind of came on the scene with that. And I remember somebody interviewing him. And it, but it wasn't like, it was like, it was like Entertainment Tonight or one of those type of things. And they were like, so how do you feel? Like you're finally, you know, this is great work for you or something like that. And he was, I loved what he said. He's like, I'd like to think I've been doing great work for the last 20 years or I'm the same actor that I was, but I've got Ethan and Joel Cohen's script. I've got their direction and he, here it is. I mean, now I'm, and I'm very lucky that I, I have that. And I agree, man. I, I, I think I disagree with you. I think if you're in the right role with the right script and the right director, it's such a collaborative art. I've seen you do what you do. You, you just, and, and maybe granted, maybe you got to take me with a grain of salt. Cause I'm only saying that because for me to believe for my own self, I'm saying the same thing for myself. I'm going, just give me, you know, give me the shot. And yet I feel the same way you do. I go, I look at Christian Bale and I go like, that dude's a, that dude's the the Michael Jordan of acting. That's how I look at him. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't know. I did too. man. I did. So I, I, I was the guy and I go, I can't do that. I can't do that. I, I mean, I, what I, he I, did, you know, I, what he did in the fighter. That's yeah. like, I, I always say like that guy did, he, he captured like, Boston, not Boston, particularly Lowell, but whatever, you know, Massachusetts, he captured a guy that was 
a, a, a champion, but now yeah. he's strung out. Like he did like three things yeah. that on their <laughs> own would be impossible to do. He did all three of them in the same movie. Like yeah. it was unbelievable. Yeah. No, you that's know? a thoroughbred. That's, that's, that's a fucking he's, He to me I, is on a plane that's, yeah. you know, really. And Daniel Lewis and those guys, they're just, they're on a, you know, it's, it's a whole different. Uh, yeah. We're like polo ponies. <laughs> so, uh, so you remember that Peloponnese? You ever seen that? I don't know if I know it. It's a it's a reference from the honeymooners. Were you too young for the honeymooners? I was a little too young. Yeah, I kind of missed out on it a little bit. I uh, mean, I know it, but I don't. Well, I don't I mean, know it to. I don't know it to the degree should, that. Dude, you should check that out because you know because the kind of comedic you know uh, 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 jam you were on in, in on that show um, is is right up that alley. It's very like Jackie Gleason is, and is so fucking straight front foot forward intention. Um, and it's so funny because he takes it so seriously. Um, but it's, you should, you should check it out. But yeah, I, said, I mean, I know it enough to know that, but I don't really know it. Like it wasn't like I was growing up. Like I kind of feel like I, I came to this late and there was a lot of catch up work I had to do in terms of, you know, I was watching. Like, what's that? It's a clinic. Yeah. It is a clinic on comedic acting. Maybe I'll go, I'll go revisit it. Uh, you know uh, what I've been revisiting because uh, some cops that I've talked to about the role I'm playing right now said, or well, this one cop uh, said Barney Miller. And I was like, really? He goes, Barney Miller. And so I've been watching it and it's like, it's a, you know, it's a sitcom. But he's like, yeah, they kind of, they kind of had something. He's like, we used to watch that all the time. He was NY, NYPD, and I'm, I'm playing Boston. But the, I, I found that interesting enough that I went and like, you know, bought the season on Amazon and was like, I'm going to watch it and just put that in the, you know, in the cooker as well with everything else. You know? There were all those great, great, so many great, those Taxi and all those great, really naturalistic sitcoms back then. You know. Yeah. Meet Joe Black at the time. It was like, I feel like Brad Pitt had just come on the scene. Anthony Hopkins is Anthony Hopkins. Uh, you played this, again, you played a guy that's like so different from the guy I'm talking to right now. I mean, you were, um, you were almost, it was like a Yago type of role that you play. Yeah. You know, you were, you were very, or Solieri. It was like, you were so jealous and conniving. What was the character? What was the, the, uh, animal that you used for that? Do you remember? Um, I would say probably a ferret or something like that. Yeah. What was no. that? What was that film experience? Like, I mean, I oh, incredible. It was incredible. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I was, again, you know, thrown off the deep end into, you know, the world. Like, it was like going, finding myself at Juilliard. I was just like, holy shit, this is, this is, and I ain't going to fuck this up. I'm going to make sure that, that this opportunity counts. Um, and, you know, I would just, I would watch, you know, I'd watch Hopkins, watch what he did. Like, I was studying him. He's, he's actually one of, I think the greatest, greatest actors. He's more of the English size. He's, he does, he's not a scene reacher, you know, and he doesn't like those kind of actors. Um, 
he's more of a, a glider, like a skater. Like uh, let's think American American uh, actors are hockey players. Well, he's a he's a dancer. He's a he's a you know he's a he's an Olympic you know uh, figure skater. Um, he'll just come up and touch the moment and then go off. Whereas we'll go in there and just dig in, <laughs> you know, dig up the ice and eat a big old. <laughs> They're bringing the Zamboni out. Whatever. <laughs> Um, but so Hopkins, yeah, look, I was very, he, he had no interest in me whatsoever, but he was really had a lot of fun with Claire Falani and, you know, I was just this kid. Why would he have any interest in me? I was like, it's my first fucking movie. And, you know, but I would watch him and, and I would try to make conversation with him. Well, by the end of it, it took us four months to shoot this thing. And by the end of it, he was used to me like hanging around, like, you know, <laughs> trying to make conversation with the, with with him and eventually we got to the place where he actually we connected on literature a little bit um he, he's a big reader he would carry around four or five books um and and at the end of this at the end of this uh towards the end that we shot we shot more or less in order so i always had to to i was always last up and it was it was it was a lot of uh um Scenes between me, Brad, and 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 Hopkins, and I was always the last up. And this director just loved to shoot, so he'd shoot 15, 20, 25, 30 takes. I mean, just and coverage from everywhere. Well, Hopkins hated this way of working, um, and but the point was is is when they finally got to my coverage, after because the the big shots go first, you know, so. It was usually Hopkins first, and then then Brad for then Brad Pitt, and then then my turn. Well, we were shooting this scene. It was the end of the movie, and it's the movie where I take the company away from from Hopkins. And we'd been shooting this for three days, and I would been giving these actors everything you know I could. So by the time it got to me, I was like fucking dry, you know. When, when it was four in the morning after day three, and it was time for my close up. So right before we shot my close up, as I say, Hop, we were stuck together, Hopkins and me, for four months. So eventually, we had to, he had to talk to me. <laughs> you wore him down. I wore him down. He was like this bored off his tits. So um, I started. I, I I asked him. I said, "Listen, man, I feel I feel like I didn't call him man, but he doesn't like to be called sir or anything. He's very informal. He's a Welshman." Um, I said, I feel like, what do you do when, when you, you're not hearing it for the first time? And, be, and he said, why well, is that what you're feeling? I said, yeah, I feel like I'm still, I can't hear it. And I know when my close-ups coming up and, and I'm, and I'm, and I, I can't hear it. I'm, I'm in a fog. He said, well, you know, I pretend the cameras, it doesn't happen to me that much anymore, but I, I, you know, I pretend the cameras on my singles, I pretend the cameras on the other guy. Um, so, you know, there's no onus on, you know, he says, I pretend the camera's over there. And I said, well, what happens when the camera's on you and you're feeling, you know, tight or self-conscious or you can't hear it for the first time? He said, well, I look around, I look at, I look at what you're wearing. I look, you know, you got a blue t-shirt on, you got veins in your arm and I'm looking around at your staircase. So anything, so I said, so it's like, it's about taking focus away. He said, yeah, it's, it's the opposite of focus. It's the opposite. It's, it's the opposite of concentration. And then they call us in and for my single. And of course I dried up and I was like, 
and it was, and he was, he was, he was still relatively young, but you know, he get, gets tired after a 15, 16 hour day. And I went up and I went and, and I went dry and I, and we were rolling and I said, Tony, what's the opposite of concentration? And then underneath everyone, underneath everything, a couple of guys, like the two, uh, the, 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 uh, um, Directs a focus or 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 something, and then underneath everyone, I heard Hopkins go, Nirvana. <sighs> so that's that's that. It's not about from his. It's not about being focused. It's not about you know eyeball to eyeball and being really really intense all the time. But it is a moment of Nirvana. It's a moment of grace, if you will. You know when you are not concentrating, when you are not working, yeah. when you are not trying to focus, that's, that is, that is the, the, um, the blessing that you can experience when you're doing the job, right? When you're doing the work, right? So that's one of my many Hal Hopkins stories. I love the advice to act like it's the other person's Close up. It's not yours. That's to pretend. That's great mm-hmm. I've used because that. I always I always do that. I'm like, man, I was great on their coverage. That's right. <laughs> I sucked on mine, but I was great on their coverage. <laughs> um, but also, what he's saying is really, you know, and and Brando said the same thing. You know, when when the great thing about movie acting is when they say action, you don't have to do anything. And you know, Hopkins is saying you you don't have to. You can look around. You don't even have to, you know, Brando, there'd be a stage direction, you know, a piece of prose that would say, you know, the character is breaking down. Well, he'd start laughing. You do the opposite. You cannot do anything wrong if you are living it. Yeah. If you are in your, in your truth or this, whatever that moment may be, you know, and, and it's kind of a cliche to talk about being in the moment and stuff, but that's what Hopkins was saying. He's saying, he, he was saying that there is, the moment of nirvana is when you're doing the opposite of concentrating. Yeah. That's kind of Harold Guskin has that, you know, have you ever heard of him? Stop, stop acting. And, and, you know, I identified a lot with Christopher Reeves. He talked about uh, that. He was so, I had a teacher in, in New York, one of my first teachers who was actually Ed Norton's teacher, this guy, Terry Schreiber. Um, and he used to tell me, don't be, try to be such a straight A student. We don't want to see you have it all together. We want to see the messy stuff underneath. And that was kind of when Guskin talks about Christopher Reeves in that, in that book, he says he had come off of, he got, he almost got famous too quickly for his own good. So he did Superman and all of a sudden he was this movie star, but he wasn't really he got locked into a way of doing things. And um, Guskin kind of said like, no, look at the text. What are you feeling right now? And just deliver that with the text and, and have it be alive for you right now. Whatever is alive for you. Don't, 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 you know, um, I thought that was, it's, it's interesting. It's cool. I'm in this phase where I'm, I'm kind of going back because I have time here. I just listened to uh, 
Meisner's book on tape. I just listened to Esper's book on tape. And I'm like reminded of stuff that I learned 20 years ago and then kind of forgot, but I kind of have been doing it in my own little bastardized way. And I'm like, huh, oh, I'm kind of doing that. And then there's some things where I go, oh, I forgot about that. Or, oh, I got lazy, you know? Oh, I, I'm not, I'm not fully, you know, they're just, you know, it pushes you to, to be better. Um, there's so many different ways to, um, to get at it. It's interesting to hear Hopkins. Yeah. But, but that doesn't negate the need for preparation, you know, you know, one of the other things I would, I would watch him, I'd watch him work his props and I said, what are you doing there? And he says, well, first thing, first thing I do is I make sure that I have all my props. Right. So he works out the business. So again, it's the, the, you know, technical demands of continuity and stuff like that. But it was part of him being in his body physically in the character is he would work his props and get them exactly how he wanted them. Um, so that's all part of, you know, of, of, of preparation. And, and then hopefully when you get to set, you get to that moment of Nirvana, but you've got to do all your prep work beforehand. You make sure your lines are hundred percent. You make sure you've done your, your bio, if that's the way you want to work or, a buddy of mine sat on a plane next to, he was an aspiring actor at the time, and he sat on a plane next to uh, Gene Hackman. And he, and he, and they, he was, this guy's got some dough, so they were in business class or first class or whatever, and he said, you know, towards the end, he said, Mr. Hackman, do you mind if I ask your advice? Uh, you know, I'm a young actor, and I was wondering if you could give me some, some pointers. And he said, I'll, I'll give you the five Ps. And my friends said, the five Ps? What are the five Ps? He said, Preparation prevents piss poor performance. <laughs> that was the only thing he said to him the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like perfect hackman. I mean, that that's yeah. He said, That's it. That's all it's about, man. Just about preparation. Do your work. Make sure you show up. You and, know. and ironically, Hackman and Duval are the ones that I always site as the guys that I look at that you don't ever catch them acting. You never catch Hackman acting, but that's preparation. It takes so much work to make it look like there's no work. Yeah. I mean, look at what I tell, what I, if, you know, when I'm working with young actors, I'm like, you know, be prepared. You know, your lines backwards, be able to do them at five times the speed that you're going to do them over and over and over again by rope, um, be relaxed and be open. So when you're on set, you got to be relaxed. You cannot, any tension, the camera will, will find you. Um, so make sure your body is relaxed. Know that your body, feel your body. If there's any tension, loosen it. You just got to be loose, 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 loosey goosey physically. And then just be open to whatever, you know, may come your way, be open to new ideas, you know, all that preparation, leave it at the door. Will you physically warm up your your voice and your body in the trailer or dressing room or whatever? Will you do yoga or stretching or what do you do? I, I make sure that my limbs are loose, that I can, if I'm not gesticulating, I'm not, unless I'm playing a particular type of dude, you know, that doesn't do a lot of that. Um, that's really sort of tightly. But even then you've got to make sure you just got to, You've got to be able to, part of the way 
to stay relaxed is to do different things physically, you know, to keep your body, you know, loose on camera when you're being shot. I, I worked with this guy, Mike Newell, who's an English director. And, and, you know, he said this, he was right before we'd shoot each time he said, reinvent it, boys, make it new. And I was thought, Oh my God, that's fucking great. You know, nobody told us that in, 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 in acting school to make, reinvent it and make it fucking different each time. But that's what, you know, um, uh, that's what the greats do. I'll tell you a quick anecdote. I was, I was a reader, um, uh, for callbacks for, for women for this film called Nobody's Fool, which is a, a Robert Benton movie that Paul Newman was starring in. So I got to be in the room with Paul Newman while they were reading final callbacks for the girls. And I would, I was playing, you know, the other person, Newman read, then I read, and then the, the girl, or if, if I had a scene with the girl, then Newman would watch. But when he was acting, reading with her, he, he did it totally different each time. And then when I saw the movie, I'd never seen that performance. I'd never seen that. Out of nothing. I mean, he must have done it 20 different ways each time. And then when I saw the movie, it was different from what was in the room. You know, so that's what Mike Newell said, you know, is for us as 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 people who work on on film and TV, it's, you know, just make it new, man. Just just change it up, you know, just change it up. OK. And, you know, do you find I, I, I like that? I like being able to explore differently. But I also do you find on some projects because i do where it's not welcome and when you do do you <laughs> but do you butt up against it and just say i'd rather uh you know re- what's the expression rather than ask for permission i'm going to uh <laughs> i'm butchering what the heck is the expression you know anyway do you do you try what you're going to try and let them tell you no or or uh, what has your experience been on, on certain sets and how do you butt up against that when someone's trying to hem you in? Well, the bad directors will come in and they'll see you do something. They'll say, that was great. Do that exactly. Do the, the exact same thing you did on, on all of your coverage. Then it's dead. Or they'll come up and say, I love how you delivered that line of blah, 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 blah. That's dead. You'll never be able to recreate that. So that's, that's what the bad directors do. The good directors will come in and they'll, they'll give you ideas each time they'll come in with something new. Try this, try that, try that. Um, the really good directors will set up an environment where you, they don't even have to say that, you know, sometimes they'll come in and they'll say, but they'll just say, that's great. Just try something else now. Just try something else. And that's, but the people who want to come in and lock you in, um, yeah, they're, they're bad at what they do and they will kill. <laughs> I agree. I agree. They, they will kill. They will take the life out of any scene by talking too much. Uh, now as an actor, when I'm confronted with someone like that, I'm just going to change it up each time. I said, I'll just, I'd rather be the actor who can't take a note. You know, I say, was that good? Did I get it? And the guy will be like, no, he didn't do the, he didn't do the note, you know? Um, but you did it differently this time. Oh, I did. I thought I was doing it the same way that you wanted, you know, <laughs> you just do your thing. You do you, man. <laughs> Let them oh man hi man we gotta play on film that's a fun stuff we gotta play you know otherwise it dies you know paul newman he was playing in that room he was keeping himself amused yeah but they will kill it if they can 
because they don't know the language. You know, it's not necessarily their fault. They just see something good and they go, okay, let's lock that in. Well, there's no such thing as locking it in. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't work for us. You know, you know, never tell an actor in the middle of his coverage that what he's doing is really funny. I think, you know, I agree because I mean, you're, I, yeah, then you're self-conscious about it. And then you're, and then yeah. you're doing the, the, give him a smile or give him a, like, you know, a thumbs up maybe or something, you know, but you know, don't, don't, I mean, like with the actors that I'm working with on this movie, I'm just, you know, if it's working, don't, don't, don't mess with it. Just tell them, have them do something else. Also, I think another really good thing to do is, and I don't like finding this as a director, but I always love this in acting class when they tell you just do it in your own words. I think that's how you find a through line, you know, a really strong through line because you're forced to, to do your objective work. You know, because if you don't know what you're doing, what you what you want, then you, you know, you're not playing the scene and it's, you know, you haven't done your thing. And the one thing you got to know as an actor is what you want in the scene. So if you put it in your own words and you have your actors put it in their own words, then they really, you know, if it falls apart, you say, well, what do you want? You know, what do you want from this person? Now, how are you going to get You can get, there's 50 million ways you can get it. Just know what you want. You can try and seduce it out of them. You can try and intimidate it out of them. You can, you know, you know, you can pretend to ignore them. You can do whatever, but, you know, just know what you want. Um, so I always find that that's really helpful. I always like that, you know. Yeah. When, when, when you can put it in your own words. Do you like to improvise? I do. I mean, my, one of my favorite gigs was um, Goliath. And it was because uh, Lawrence Trilling, I don't know if you've ever worked with him. Uh, he, he just had, I had, I had done like a couple of episodes on parenthood and we did, I had the scene with uh, Craig T. Nelson and we did it and they said, great, great. And Larry goes, uh, do it again and uh, just dirty it up. And this was a show that was on NBC. And I was like, dirty it up. I'm like, like, just what he's like, yeah, whatever you want to do, just, you know, just do what you want to do. <laughs> and awesome. I was like, this is great. And I really had not much to do two episodes, not a ton to do, but I had so much fun working with him. And then I did the whole second season of Goliath. And he was like, you know, the first day that I worked with him, we had this scene on a basketball court and I came in and I had this, whatever it was, I said, Hey, uh, I got an idea for this. He goes, don't tell me, just do it. And I'll pull you back if I need to. And this guy sounds great. Oh, he's amazing. Come on. That's exactly, that's the lingua franca, man. And I, I interviewed him for this podcast and I said, I brought that up to him and I said, you're so uh, open. And he said, well, don't confuse. He said, I just want to make a distinction. I'm not being nice and I'm not being, he said, I am very, I have an ego. I want to do it. But he's like, but I realize that you may have a better way. He said, so, and, and that's how he was. I mean, I talk about him. I, you know, I have a, a book that I just wrote. I talk all about Larry Trilling because he didn't just do it with me. He did it with the makeup and hair department. He was like the way Lumet talks about meeting with the departments and just telling them what he wants but then letting them do their thing. And I think those are the best directors when they go, they have an opinion, 
but they let you come to it in your own way. So you feel ownership of it instead of feeling like you're being this little puppet who's doing what they want to do, you know? And I love, I love that kind of, Uh, that kind of work. If the writing is so good and there's no need to improv, then there's no need to improv. Um, But, you know, they just kind of had a way of working where it was like, we would come in and say, Hey, I mean, they were so open. I said, there there was one scene I go, uh, it feels like it's too articulate. Like, could we, you know, could we minimize the talking? And they said, what are you thinking? And and I had kind of called the other guy that I was working with on that scene the night before and said, what if we just did this and we got rid of this and did this? So we had something prepared to talk to. And we said, it would be this, 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 and this. And we, you know, we'd still be saying this. And, she, and this was now another director, Denny Gordon, but Larry was still running the I show. What's that? I know Denny. You do? Oh, she's great. Yeah, she's great. She's great. Yeah. Yeah. She's so open. And she listens. She has us do it. And she goes, okay, just make sure you say this. And yeah, that's great. And and it was like, you felt trusted and you felt like they knew that you weren't doing it to try to serve yourself. Like I'm not, I'm never trying to do it to serve myself. I'm trying to serve the story. And, and when you have someone who's directing you, who, who recognizes that and welcomes your thoughtfulness about it or they shoot it down, but at least they think about it. At least they, they go, okay, I see what you're saying, but no. And I'm like, cool. You know, but if, as long as you really take it in and you you know, it's, those are my favorite direct. My favorite directors are ones that, that like, you know, kind of want to hear me they want it. They want to, they want my opinion. They want me to feel like I'm invested in it, you know? Yeah, man. Cause I want to, I want to give everything I can. I, I, you know, sometimes you feel like you're not necessarily, <laughs> they're kind of like, all right, just do, just do your lines and shut up and get out of here. You know? Hey, look, I love, I love that thing of him just saying, don't, don't tell me about it. Just do it. Just try it. If you got the time to do that, that's great. You should always, and a good director will always, you know, unless you're just running and gunning it, you know, he'll say, okay, this, this one's for you. Just do whatever you want. And usually that's the best one. Cause you're so, you know, you, you just, you know, you've taken all the, all the, all the, all the onus is off you and you can just be. Yeah. I, I'll give you this before I go to the final three. Cause I'm going to let you go. It's been, it's been a while on huge in France. We had a slight, I loved the guy. They were writer directors and I loved their script. And we had a slight, it it was kind of a, it was such a great negotiation. We had a slight disagreement about how to hit it. I kept saying, it's really funny, but I really don't want to play the funny. I said, I want it to be let's just get it. Let's make it like it's as real as possible. Like, let's make it, it could be subtle. It could be whatever. And, and they would say, okay. And they loved my take on it, but they would, we would kind of do a couple of takes for Matt and then they'd go, okay, now ramp it up. And I would do a couple of takes that were heightened. And the, the lesson in that one was like, they're really funny. And I'm not, 
you know, they have a track record in comedy and I love their sense of humor. And it got to the point at the beginning, I was a little like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that for you. Cause I don't know how it's going to, you know? And then as we went along, I just trusted them and we would kind of do it that way. We do what, do it for me, do it for them. And when, when I went to see, to do ADR, it was like a couple of months later. And I said, what do you guys think? Like I hadn't, they were like in a hole. I hadn't seen them for months. And I love that role. I love that experience. And they were like, oh, you got to see this stuff. And they showed me all these things. And I, I literally called my wife. I called my agent and I said, this is the best. This is like the best thing I've, I've ever done. I think this will be really good for me. Uh, they took care of me. It was like, it was like putting yourself in someone's hands and they just took total, like, I think they must've picked stuff from my takes and their takes. And they did it just in a way that I was so happy with. And you're Mm -hmm. just like, you realize going back to my other point, you are in the hands of the filmmaker. Mm -hmm. You bring your thing, but ultimately you are in the hands of the filmmaker. Dude, yeah, completely. You, 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 the actor has control of a, a, a stage performance, and the same movie is made. It's written. It's then it's made again when it's cast. It's made again when it's shot, and it's made again when it's edited. Yep. And, you know, yeah. You are, yeah. You're lucky that those guys. You yeah, know, I'm lucky, man. They put and and for every one of those, there are a bunch that I could cite where I felt like I really did something on the day that I, you know, I watched it and I was like, ah, I thought. Maybe I was better than that, but I wasn't, you know? No, no. A lot of it's a cut. A lot of it's the cut that doesn't work, especially if it's in comedy, you know? I mean, no. I mean, look, whatever that, that combination between you you and, and these two dudes, you know, you should keep that that collaboration going because it's it's working. I mean, I think that that guy should have his own show. I mean, I just really, to, to me, that was the, 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 that was the best thing in that whole, that whole thing. I mean, honestly, I did, I got bored with some of it, but, um, but th- that storyline, you guys, I think th- they should write, write for that guy. I think it's, <laughs> I'd love it, man. I- I'd love that. I'd love to to play that character again. Let me, let me give you, uh, before I go, I got, a, I got three questions I ask I everybody. So I'll ask you. I think you should go back to the, to, you know, your backstory, you know, like when you were young, they could make you look younger, you know, and have you sucking all that cock. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say yeah I know you this but he goes uh i can't even think of the actual line but yeah that was the 90s you know? model or something i was, well, was the 90s it was just it, oh it was, it was cause that's what everyone was doing was that the implication yeah and I love that. This is a moment at which you you talk the 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 the, the spunk the spunk uh, collector, whatever his name is. I can't oh, remember. The that was one of the guys. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's one of the guys. But there's some reaction shot on you that was like spit take worthy, and it was just this. Um, this I, it was something. Your face just fell at some moment. I can't remember exactly what information had just oh, been shared. Oh, when he goes, I go. So the. <laughs> He goes, yeah, you know, we'll just do, you know, open door check or something like that. And I'm like, open door check. And I'm like, who else is working here? He's like, just me. And I'm like, 
That was very funny. But this, the moment I'm thinking of is, is it was, it was a, you had some kind of news had been shared with you or no, no, no. Maybe as you, you were, I think you were negotiating or something and then it wasn't going. Uh, anyway, it was just very, I can't remember. I, I do want to see it again, but it was very, very funny. Well, I, I appreciate it, man. That, that was, it was, um, yeah. I hope that in some way, shape or form comes back to me. It's just, it's such a great. Write that dude, man. You should write that dude. You should write a, a series around that guy and do it. That's the only way you can get stuff done now is if you write it yourself. You know, but how can I, I'd have to do it with them. I mean, if they own that character, right? Yeah. Get them. I mean, it doesn't have to be that you based on that, that guy, yeah. whatever he is, the essence of him, you know, yeah. he doesn't have to be an X-Mail model, but you yeah. know, he's just a guy who's working really hard to be the best he can be in life, which is just constantly, you know, he's just facing into the headwinds nonstop, but he's going to keep going. You know, it's like Jackie Gleason and the honeymooners, you know, yeah. but I mean, it's that guy and he's kind of vain and not too, not too smart, but he's really trying to be a good stepdad, you know, but. Yeah, uh, you're, you're right. You're not the first person that's told me that. I mean, you know, they had, yeah. Jonah Hill was at that premiere and, and, and Henry Winkler. I mean, I had Henry Winkler on the show because he was at that premiere and was like beelined it to me. And we talked and I was like, holy shit, it's fucking Henry Winkler. Like Jonah Hill, you know, it's like there was something about that, that, character there was something about it yeah it was it was it was uh the seriousness with which you approached it was what was funny yeah is that about him he says i think somebody was doing a movie with him and he and he wasn't sure about uh whether i think it was ryan gosling somewhat maybe and he was like i don't know if i can do the comedy he said it's exactly the same you just gotta really believe what you're saying that's that's it just really 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 believe it and yeah. it'll be yeah. And that's kind of how he works. He's, uh, he's such a lovely actor, isn't he, Jonah? Such a lovely actor. Yeah. Um, all right. Let me give you these. The word no means what to you? Um, the word no makes room for yes down the road. Does that make sense? You can explain it if you want to expound upon that. No makes room for a yes. It may not be the yes that you expect. It may not be the yes that you would choose over that no, but it just, it allows for a different space in your life, whether it's, um, no, you don't get to go to Williams College, but yes, you get to go to Middlebury College. And at Middlebury College, you'll fall in love with a woman named Catherine Lumsden, and that will change your life. Wouldn't have had that if I went to Williams. That's a no. That's a no that busted me up, but wouldn't change it. Do you have a go-to mantra when everything falls apart or just a go-to mantra. Is there anything that you kind of lean on that you, the people get confused by this. They think I'm asking like, do they meditate and have a mantra? I don't mean that. Just, is there any kind of, you know, one particular group of words that runs through your head when you, uh, when you need it? 
I think industriousness, hard work, um, is grit, determination, you know, um, not determination, that's wrong. I think it's just, don't, just work hard, man. Do, do the work that you have to do to, to be the best you can be with whatever opportunity is being presented to you that's in front of you. Just never be lazy. Just don't, I, I just, I, I just, I have no room for laziness in my, in, in, uh, um, in my work. You know, I'll sit around and eat potato chips all day, but um, that's different, you know. Give yourself the opportunity to succeed because there's going to be so many things that are going to be stacked against you. Maybe, you know, you'll be tired when your coverage shows up. Maybe, you know, but, but make sure, um, make sure you are ready when they call on you. And you can't do that if you're not prepared because you're going to freeze up. You may get scared. You may get intimidated, whatever. So, do your work. I mean, that's what I, I just always go back to hard work, you know? Last question. If you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? I would say, um, You know, that gets into moments of shame for me when you say that. That makes me think of moments in my life that I've hurt people or I've been less of a human being and a man than I would like to be. So I guess I would say in those moments, you know, be better. Don't be a selfish prick. There are people whose hearts, you know, are in your hand. So... What's that great Yeats poem? Tread lightly because you tread on my dreams. Had I the heavens embroidered cloths, I believe it's called. Your listeners can look it up. It's a great poem. It's very short. Jake Weber, man, thank you. Uh, I love this conversation. Um, against my own will, I'll have to edit the crap out of it possibly, <laughs> or just re release it as it is, because I was just too curious to just riff with you and, um, ask you what I wanted to ask you. And, uh, I'm glad I did. Um, I'm really appreciative that you sat down with me and, um, and, and, and I, I hope, and you know, you know how things go. I don't, who knows, but I hope I, I get to actually hang with you and get to know you better. Cause I, I really dig your whole vibe and your, and your, your just your curiosity and, and your honesty. It's uh, I, I like it. So thanks, man. You bet. It's been a pleasure, man. Maybe we'll have one of those uh, whiskeys together sometime. I'd love that. What we do here is go back, 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 back. All right, that is it. As I promised, if you are an actor, that was a masterclass. Here are the top three takeaways. We do them every week, and this is no different. Number one, if you work hard, you don't have to be the most talented person in the world to find success. You know, I ain't the most talented guy. I'm not the smartest guy. I'm not, you know, not the funniest guy, you know, but I, I, I will work hard. 
I'm a, I'm a, I'm a journeyman actor and I, and I always work hard and I always have in my life and I just take advantage of any opportunity I have because I don't know how many there are, they're going to be. Number two, there are so many acting takeaways in this interview, but this one is really universal for any of you out there. When someone says they're willing to take a chance on you because they see something in you, don't talk them out of it. You know, don't just second guess yourself or judge yourself. If somebody thinks you can do it, you just you you owe them the respect to to go out and and give it give it a college try. And then if it sticks, it sticks, you know. But yeah, don't don't turn down opportunities. You know. Make it your own. You don't have to, you know, you know, you make it your own. And number three, how can you get all those gems from Sir Anthony Hopkins and not put one in your top three takeaways? Again, he's talking about acting, but it applies to everyone. Grinding is not always the way to go. Sometimes it's the opposite of concentration, as Hopkins says it, that we are actually seeking. It's not about being focused. It's not about, you know, eyeball to eyeball and being really, really intense all the time. But it is a moment of nirvana. It's a moment of grace, if you will, you know, when you are not concentrating, when you are not working, when you are not trying to focus. That's that is that is the the um, the blessing that you can experience when you're doing the job right when you're doing the work right. Okay, Jake Weber, thank you so much again for sitting down, for being so generous in your comments about my work. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Hope you really dug this one as much as I did. And uh, if you do like this show in general, please do us a favor. Go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and rate and review the show. Give us a great review. Give us a five-star rating. It helps the visibility of the show. Um, If you are interested in a more three-dimensional version of this show, you like the topics that are discussed in these episodes and you want to apply it to your own life, go check out the link in the show notes for the 10,000 Nose Insiders community. Um, You can learn more about that there. You can also go to 10,000nose.com and learn about it. And uh, that is it. We are here every Monday with the Monday Morsels. We're here Friday with these long interviews and uh, just go have a great week. I hope you dug Jake Weber. Thanks again. Bye.